Senator Lindsey Graham says Russia, not Ukraine, hacked the Democrats in 2016. Someone might want to tell his golf buddy, President Trump. The lead starts right now. Just hours away from the first committee debate on articles of impeachment, as new CNN reporting reveals what the Senate trial might look like, and it's possible President Trump will not be happy about it. Just the facts. Today, the Justice Department watchdog stood by his report showing no evidence of a deep state plot to launch that investigation into the Trump campaign, but a whole lot of evidence of serious FBI misconduct during that investigation, plus new details on a wild, deadly, horrific shootout, a kosher market in New Jersey, the target, anti-Semitism, the apparent motive, and a pipe bomb found at the scene. What else was behind this vile act of hate? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with the politics lead in just under three hours. From now, the House Judiciary Committee will begin the official debate over and finalizing of the two articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump. We know the charges, obstruction of Congress and abusing the power of his office. This is all in preparation for a historic vote tomorrow by the committee and then a final House floor vote next week. Right now, it appears House Democrats do have the votes to impeach President Trump and then send the matter to the Republican-controlled U.S. Senate, where removing the president from office seems quite unlikely. GOP senators are beginning to say that they're seeing the benefit in keeping the process Short, potentially not even calling any witnesses. Still, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, Mr. Trump has privately expressed concern about the possibility of becoming just the third president in U.S. history to be impeached. Match records on their own. Or they in just three hours, the House Judiciary Committee will begin debating two articles of impeachment against President Trump abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. I have an obligation to uphold my oath and hold this president accountable. Then tomorrow, the committee will vote on whether to send the impeachment bill to the entire House, where it will need a simple majority to pass. After that, the case goes to a trial in the Senate, where Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are at odds over what that trial should look like. A Senate trial will have to be our first item of business in January. Democrats say impeaching the president isn't a decision they're making lightly. We're taking this action for future generations, not for this Congress. But at his rally in Pennsylvania, Trump blasted Democrats for backing off, accusing him of bribery. All of these horrible things, remember? Bribery and this and that. Where are they? Trump claiming House Speaker Pelosi only cut a deal with him on trade because she's embarrassed by impeachment. And she did it on the same day that they announced that they are going to impeach because they're embarrassed by the impeachment. And our poll numbers have gone through the roof because of her stupid impeachment. But while the president is downplaying the articles of impeachment. This is the lightest impeachment in the history of our country by far. Sources say he's still privately agitated by it all. Trump has said privately he doesn't want to be remembered like he thinks former President Bill Clinton is by his impeachment. Now, Jake, one Republican senator who spoke with our colleague Ted Barrett warned that the president's desire to have witnesses at his Senate trial could backfire, warning that witnesses can cut both ways and that Democrats are going to be able to call them too. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House for us. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, so it is possible that Republicans in the Senate call no witnesses, but we are now also starting to hear 
Two sources telling CNN that the whistleblower's legal team is preparing for the possibility that lawmakers will call their client to testify in the Senate. Let's chew over all of this uh, with our team. Laura, let me start with you. What do you make of that? We don't know if the Senate's going to call witnesses or not. Ultimately, it's going to be up to a majority of the Senate, which is controlled by Republicans. If they call the whistleblower, then what? It's pretty uncharted territory at this point. Up until now, because of the House being led by the Democrats, they've protected the identity of the whistleblower, as is customary for any of the IG community members who have the whistleblower protection. But now they're having a Senate that's controlled by the Republicans who may be going to the same talking point of saying, listen, let's shoot the messenger, figuratively speaking here. Because if you look at the messenger, as opposed to the more than 17 people have come forward to testify, to corroborate aspects of the complaint that's already known, when it becomes kind of a circus atmosphere as opposed to the substantive defense of the conduct or substantive attack of the conduct. Any event, it would not be very productive. And it would also undermine why we have the Protection Act in the first place. All right, but l- l- let's step back yeah. because I want to yeah. talk about the yeah. immediate future. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Ron, uh, bringing back memories, of course, of the Clinton impeachment. Yeah. Uh, what are you expecting to see in the next few hours as the House Judiciary Committee, you know, does the final edits, what's called a markup of mm-hmm. the articles of impeachment? Then they will vote on it tomorrow. Right. Uh, and then the process of marking it up for editing it starts tonight. And then, of course, a final floor vote uh, next week. Probably next week. Uh, look, the first thing, we, a lot of the lines have already been engraved. I mean, we've seen that the Republicans uh, on both committees, Intelligence and Judiciary, really have sown no inclination to grapple with the underlying facts, rather to attack the process or attack Democrats as biased. I don't think that is going to change. I think the people, thing that people will be watching the most for is, are there any of the Democrats in the thir- 31 Democrats in the districts that Trump carried in 2016 who are showing hesitation about going down the road? Of impeachment, I think that would be the, the kind of the most newsworthy thing. Don't forget, in 1998, Republicans had two of their four articles of impeachment that were voted out of the Judiciary Committee were voted down on the floor because they had so many defections from their own members. And the two that passed ultimately had five Republicans vote against. So that may be kind of a gauge or a standard by which to measure the degree of unity that Democrats ultimately achieve on this. One of the things that I heard uh, this morning in an interview with, I think it was uh, Joe Lockhart, the President Clinton's former press secretary, saying that he thought one of the biggest differences about then and now is that then, during the Clinton impeachment, there were a lot of House Democrats, including then-minority leader Dick Eppart, who were condemning Bill Clinton's behavior. They were not... They were saying it does not rise to impeachment, but they were condemning his behavior. And even Clinton's attorney on the floor of the Senate during the trial condemned President Clinton's behavior. Whereas now, according to Joe Lockhart, uh, very few Republicans are doing that. And, and in his view, uh, they're not even taking it seriously. What do you think? Do you agree? Well, uh, that's, I think that's the right thing to do is to say that this behavior is bad. Does it rise to the, the point of impeachment? But they have thus far declined to make a substantive argument. It has been all process. And the idea of calling the whistleblower, I just don't get it because it seems like a moot point because if you're going to shoot the messenger, the messenger is Trump because he gave the transcript out. Now, we're still left with the question of whether this rises to impeachable and removable. And I think the Democrats have a long way to go convincing a lot of independent and swing vote swing state voters, that that is the case. And I think political incentives have changed and the Republican Party thinks that giving any ground on this is not going to get them anything. And by the way, they're not being heard in polling by this. It, the, the numbers are moving away from impeachment for Democrats, despite them not addressing the substance, I think partly because independent voters are like, this seems like a bridge too far. Well, but a couple of things. Number one, during Clinton, remember the uh, outside pressure on a lot of those members was part of the reason that people decided to vote some of it down and keep it fairly straightforward. 
It was not a hard thing to say, I don't approve of the behavior, but this doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. In this case, we're talking about national security. We're talking about elections. So there's, it's a totally different set of circumstances. However, if you look at the way impeachment is playing out uh, uh, in races, not the national picture, mm. it's a little bit different. And just because I may not think the president should be impeached mm. does not mean right. I think he should be president again. Does not mean I'm going to vote for him. Doesn't mean I won't vote for you, Democratic House member, even though you're in a tough district. You, you know, and there is one there is one calculation for Republicans that I think is worth noting. I mean, yes, you can look at the polling now and say they don't have a lot of incentive. Ninety percent of Republicans oppose impeachment and removal. Ninety nine percent of people approve of, Clint, of a, a Trump's performance, oppose it. But. One thing we know about President Trump, he is a student of power, he is a student of weakness. If every Republican in both chambers basically casts a vote that say they see nothing wrong here, they see nothing to sanction here, the one thing they are, they, they are guaranteed is they are going to get more of this kind of behavior or behavior that is perhaps even more egregious. He goes until someone you know, imposes a penalty and forces him to change direction. And I think Republicans, who base, if they uniformly vote to say this is okay, they are signing themselves up to defend something that may be even more difficult to defend. And remember talking about students of power and weakness, impeachment is also about the power of Congress, even more so than perhaps about the power or abuse of power of the president of the United States. One of the articles is obstruction of Congress. If they allow that to take place, they make themselves impotent in every successive presidential term going forward. And they essentially say, we're handing you separation mm -hmm. of powers because you can thumb your nose at us. You can say, I'm not going to comply with your subpoenas. And then suddenly we, the lawmakers, become below you, the executive. That's above the law. But there also is a third branch of government that is designated to adjudicate such things. And that is the process that we could go through, except Democrats don't actually want to go through it because that would lead them into January in 2020. And they don't know, they, they, they way past January. Well, I was going to say, much, much way past January. January. Into the summer. Nonetheless, we have a process for this, which they do not want to observe. I don't see it as absurd. Let's stick around. We have, a, we have a lot more to talk about. The Justice Department's Inspector General just finished defending his report on the Russia investigation and FISA abuses before, before the Senate Judiciary Committee. We're going to talk to one of the senators who questioned him next. Plus, new details emerging about the shooters and what they had with them as they carried out that deadly, horrific attack in Jersey City. Stay with us. And we're back with our politics lead today. Right now, the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz is finishing up his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, in which Horowitz defended his team's findings that the start of the Russia probe was justified. It was not a deep state plot of Trump haters inappropriately launching an investigation. But as CNN's Jessica Schneider reports, the inspector general also underlined that the various misconduct and abuses detailed in his report mean there is no vindication for the FBI. The nonpartisan watchdog for the Department of Justice in the hot seat. Inspector General Michael Horowitz standing by his report's conclusions and largely quashing conspiracy theories. We did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that indicated political bias or improper motivation influencing his decision to open the investigation. But Horowitz also focused on the failures at the FBI when it came to the FISA warrant application and subsequent renewals on former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. We found, and as we outline here, are deeply concerned that so many basic and fundamental errors were made by three separate handpicked investigative teams on one of the most sensitive FBI investigations. Would you have submitted a warrant application as a lawyer? Let me put it this way. I would not have submitted the one they put in. They certainly misled. The, the, it was misleading to the court. Republicans pounced on the problems. This wasn't Jason Bourne. This was Beavis and Butthead. 
And Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham called out former FBI Director James Comey, who was at the top when the investigation began. Former FBI Director James Comey said this week that, that your report vindicates him. Is that a fair assessment of your report? You know, I think the activities we found here don't vindicate anybody who touched this. Top Democrat Dianne Feinstein and her colleagues fought back, repeatedly working to spotlight the IG's core finding. This was not a politically motivated investigation. There is no deep state. Simply put, the FBI investigation was motivated by facts, not bias. So we are clear, did your report uncover systematic political bias at the FBI? As to what we looked at and the openings, we did not find documentary testimonial evidence to support a finding of bias. Horowitz also pushed back on the criticism coming from Attorney General Bill Barr and U.S. Attorney John Durham, who is conducting his own DOJ-sanctioned investigation into the origins of the Russia investigation. Barr said in an interview Tuesday that the FBI may have acted in bad faith, Horowitz saying he was given no evidence from Barr or Durham to prove that. Did either Barr or Durham present anything that altered uh, your findings? Uh, no. And with that, the focus now shifts to the Durham investigation, the results expected this spring or summer, and whether the investigation will reveal new details about the origins of the Russia investigation or perhaps any bad faith by the FBI that the attorney general has alluded to. And Jake, of course, the inspector general today, though, he was clear that neither Attorney General Barr nor Durham offered any evidence to him to change that conclusion that the FBI properly opened the probe back in July 2016. Jake. All right, Jessica Schneider, thanks so much. Let's bring in Democratic Senator Chris Coons. He's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He just finished questioning the inspector general today about his findings. Senator Coons, thanks for joining us. As always, we appreciate it. The the, uh, inspector general today said that that no one should feel vindicated uh, by this report. What was your big takeaway from his testimony today? Well, Jake, first it was that the inspector general conducted a strikingly broad investigation. They looked at a million documents. They conducted interviews of over 100 witnesses. And they ultimately concluded that the FBI did not act with political bias, that they launched an investigation into the possible collusion between Russian intelligence and the Trump campaign with a solid and legal foundation. They did identify some missteps, some um, inadequacies in FBI procedure and behavior, uh, but overarching the important conclusion the IG reached was that uh, those actions did not influence either how that investigation was launched or the conclusions that it ultimately reached. Uh, We live in a time of such division. There isn't even agreement within the leadership of this Justice Department on this. Take a listen to this exchange uh, between the, the Inspector General and your colleague, Senator Klobuchar. Do you agree with Attorney General Barr that the investigation was predicated on the thinnest of suspicions? Well, um, I'm not going to get into a comparison on what his view. He's free to have his opinion. We have our finding, and and as I said earlier, I stand by our conclusion. Presumably, from your first answer, you side with the Inspector General, Mr. Harwitz? That's right. And one of the things I did emphasize was uh, that I'm grateful that the FBI director, Chris Wray, uh, instead of continuing to support the conspiracy theories advanced by President Trump and, frankly, by Attorney General Bill Barr, accepted the conclusions of the inspector general's report, uh, said he would promptly move to implement the recommendations uh, for how to improve the FISA warrant process and agreed with the conclusions uh, that the inspector general reached. 
So the, the, the bar was, no pun intended, the bar for launching an FBI investigation, uh, counterterrorism or intelligence, was lowered after 9-11. It sounds to me like you're saying that Attorney General Barr would not necessarily view the investigation as having been launched on the the thinnest of suspicions if it had been an investigation of, say, your fellow Delawarean Joe Biden. Well, I can't speak to what the attorney general would say in that circumstance, but my broader concern is that there wasn't a bipartisan agreement today in that hearing uh, that the inspector general reached the right result. And that that result was that the FBI uh, made its most important investigatory decisions without political bias. That runs directly in the face of President Trump's repeated attacks on the Mueller investigation, on the FBI, um, as being a hoax or witch hunt or politically biased. Um, That's the important conclusion here. And I wish that all of us on the committee, Republican and Democrat, would have embraced that outcome today. Now, you pressed Harwitz on whether the FISA application process was abused for political purposes. He did not uh, say he saw evidence of it either either way. Senator Graham, the chairman of the committee, seemed to suggest that the lawyer whose conduct is being referred for prosecution, who, who altered this email for a FISA reauthorization, right. that may, may have been acting out of bias based on anti-Trump text messages. So in other words, that the FBI investigation was launched okay, but that it wasn't continued in a non-biased way. What, what do you make of that? Well, the larger point I was making in my questioning today, Jake, was uh, that the individual, Carter Page, who's at issue here, there was a FISA warrant uh, issued against him for surveillance on him. Uh, He ultimately was not the target of any of the indictments of this investigation. But if you put it in broader context, there were 37 uh, indictments, uh, convictions, guilty pleas. Um, The president's theory uh, that this was a baseless witch hunt I think is disproven by the fact that the president's own national security advisor, deputy national security advisor, campaign manager, personal attorney, all stand convicted. They've either pled guilty or been convicted in court as a result of this investigation. That's the larger backdrop. And while there was this one instance that was pointed to over and over by Chairman Graham and others on the committee today, if you put it in a broader context, this was a well-founded and necessary investigation. Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. Now and then, how the five remaining House Judiciary Committee members who were around and on the committee during Clinton's impeachment sound these days and how they sounded then. Stay with us. Mr. Chairman, did I understand? We did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that indicated political bias or improper motivation influencing his decision to open the investigation. We're back and continuing the conversation in the politics lead, the Justice Department Inspector General defending his findings about the Russia probe before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Ron, the conclusion from the report, a lot of very serious issues with the FBI, but no deep state anti-Trump plot to launch the investigation. Uh, In in another another world, Earth 2, we would be talking about (laughs) bipartisan FISA reform after, you know, after this, after the problems they discovered. But right at the bottom line, with all of these Republicans pounding and the president arguing the FBI was engaged in this massive conspiracy against him, the inspector general very clearly rejects the idea that there was political motivation at the outset of this investigation, much less that Barack Obama was involved. You know, by the way, if you if you look at what the FBI actually did in 2016, James Comey holding you know press conferences in July and then reopening the investigation again. The New York Times headline on November 1st, investigating Donald Trump, FBI sees no clear link to Russia. Mm-hmm. The actual things that happened, as opposed to what was occurring, you know, kind of uh, behind closed doors, 
it's very hard to make the case that their interventions were again hurt Donald Trump in rather, than Hillary Clinton, rather than Hillary Clinton. But there is this other question. Okay, so it, it, the bias, the alleged bias, did not have any impact on launching the investigation. Mm-hmm. But what about the continuing investigation? Was there any effect there? Uh, and uh, Horowitz was asked about that uh, in, in the hearing today. Take a listen. It's unclear what the motivations were. On the one hand, gross incompetence, negligence. On the other hand, intentionality and where in between, we weren't in a position to, with the evidence we had, to make that conclusion. Uh, my I, point I'm is, not ruling it out. Your lack of evidence here is not evidence that there was no bias. The, the, I'm solely basing it correct on the actual evidence that we have. Not precisely where you want to be. If you can't rule out things like gross incompetence in line with the FBI or other intelligence agencies, that's a problem that feeds into the narrative the president said all along about them potentially being inept and whether it was about bumbling motivation or about a bias, it's not where you want to be. And I think there is some fair criticism towards the FBI based on the IG's report, specifically the idea of the omissions that were left out there and the inaccuracies and essentially buttressing the credibility of Christopher Steele. And although the Steele dossier did not launch Launch. It was not patient zero. That's George mm. Papadopoulos. He did play some role in it. And so sure. to have the foundational issues not be brought to the FISA court is important. Now, as a foreign federal employee, I have to say we are told and thought to be perfect and have no time to be perfect. And so there is that rule about bureaucracy that's already in play there. However, there is just criticism. But there's also not a lot of policies in place to talk about these yeah. very novel issues. Right. And so going forward, it's why there's all these reform measures now. And that can be addressed. But I do think they left themselves vulnerable to the criticism that's open right now. And then, of course, there's the question uh, about whether or not uh, Attorney General Barr is imp- playing an improper role mm-hmm. uh, in trying to defend President Trump and prosecute the president's case. Uh, here is Harwood's under questioning about some of that. Take a listen. And Attorney General Barr stated his belief that, quote, spying on the Trump campaign did occur, end quote. And as you said, your investigation found no evidence that the FBI placed any confidential source within the Trump campaign or tasked any confidential source to report on the Trump campaign. That's correct, right? That's correct. And further, no evidence that political bias or improper motivations influenced the decision to use confidential sources as part of the investigation. That's correct. What do you think? Well, first of all, there's another investigation going on. I'm content to wait until it's the finished Durham investigation and, and yeah. find out what it is. He does have a larger scope. Um, but I am mystified that people are there is the real true fact that the Trump administration must deal with that this hit the bar for launching an investigation. Now, he's a, he takes pains to note that that bar is not particularly high. And we might want to think about whether it should there should be other procedures, as you know. Yeah, they lowered it, it after to, 9-11. Right. When it comes to dealing with federal campaigns, for instance, and people engaged in their core political speech. Um, but the idea that anybody's reading this as an exoneration is mystifying to me. I mean, 17 occasions of lying, omission, uh, leaving out exculpatory evidence, misleading the FISA court. This is a very secret uh, court. Uh, it has tremendous powers over American citizens. Uh, and I am with the ACLU in being deeply concerned that this was what was going on, whether I like the people or the beliefs of the people whose rights have been violated. 
Uh, and a lot of people seem to be dismissing that in favor of this other conclusion, which is true. But this is deeply concerning just for all American citizens. Yeah. But unfortunately, on this planet, not the one that yeah, Ron speaks right, of, right. we don't get to have those two separate conversations yeah. that would oh, say. Oh, I can have them. I have them. I know you do. But I'm saying, it's, you know, there are two parts to this. There is the part that is that is very frightening in terms of uh, the FISA courts and what the procedures are. On the other hand, the Republicans, again, are arguing process, not substance, because the substantive fact is there was an investigation. The Trump campaign was found to the Russians did actually meddle in our election. The Russian the Trump campaign actually did, you know, whether they intent, unintentionally welcomed it. It is still shocking that a candidate for the presidency said, hey, Russia, if you're listening. I mean, there are actual facts. And why Donald Trump even thinks that this is going to exonerate or somehow excuse the fact that what happened with it was not Ukraine, by the way. It really was Russia. Mm-hmm. This, it doesn't erase that. And, and frankly, I think for most voters, they feel like moving on. I mean, talk about why are we going through this when we've got an election coming up? Yes, the FISA concerns are real, but in terms of Donald Trump, this is not going to exonerate well, him either. Well, for other people, too. It matters that Schiff and Comey and all these guys were saying that, no, the Steele dossier was incidental when it, in fact, was not. It was not, not incidental. It, it, was, it, it was not a part of launching the investigation. It was definitely part of continuing. But it was not incidental yes. to that FISA warrant. Continuing uh, the investigation. Stick around. We have more to talk about. What a difference 21 years makes. Up next, a look at the only five members of the House Judiciary Committee still around since they cast their votes to go forward or not go forward with the Clinton impeachment. What do they sound like today with Trump? Stay with us. In our politics lead, as lawmakers prepare to vote on impeachment, a reminder that some of them have done this before. Five of the House Judiciary Committee members who will vote on whether or not to impeach President Trump were facing roughly the same decision 21 years ago, deciding whether to impeach President Bill Clinton, as Dana Bash reports. Democrat Jerry Nadler in 2019. Serious abuse of power. Sounds a lot like Republican James Sensenbrenner in 1998. Obstructed and abused power. Sensenbrenner now argues Democrats wanted to oust Trump since his election. And they haven't liked him from the beginning of his term. Like Jerry Nadler said then about the GOP and Bill Clinton. There are clearly some members of the Republican majority who have never accepted the results of the 1992 or 1996 elections. The biggest difference, besides 21 years, which party's president is being impeached and which party holds the gavel. Five members of House Judiciary, the committee that voted to impeach President Clinton, are still there now. Three Democrats, Nadler, Sheila Jackson-Lee and Zoe Lofgren, and two Republicans, Sensenbrenner and Steve Shabbat. Do you feel like this is deja vu in reverse? Well... When uh, I was involved in this two decades ago, I really never dreamed that we'd see it again. In your opening statement back December 10th, 1998, it's so weird, it's almost to the day. You said... Allowing the president's actions to go unpunished would gravely damage the office of the president, our judicial system, and our country. That's what Democrats are saying about this president right now, Mm -hmm. almost to the word. They're saying it, but I think the facts are very different. Very different. What is similar, the palpable solemnity of the moment. I come bearing feelings of somberness and sadness. I'm reminded of my time on the House Judiciary Committee during the 1990s impeachment and as well a number of federal judges. I was guided then not only by the facts, but by the Constitution and the duty 
to serve this nation. And tensions very high. Relevant. Now let's slow down a bit here. Let's slow down a bit. In 1998, Nadler warned against any impeachment backed by one party and opposed by another. Such an impeachment would lack legitimacy, would produce divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come. So right now, you are moving forward with impeachment proceedings against a Republican president without support from even one congressional Republican. Is it fair to say that this impeachment, in your words from back then, will produce divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come? I think what puts bitterness and divisiveness into our politics is the conduct of the president who calls, uh, who, who questions the patriotism uh, of people who don't agree with him, who calls political opponents human scum. In 98, Democrat Zoe Lofgren predicted the GOP would suffer for impeaching Bill Clinton. For those who are out to get the president, shame on you. But beware, next election, the voters will be out to get you. Again, roles are reversed. If I were a Democrat, I'd be worried about it. And I think Zoe's comments back there could be probably coming out of the lips of a Republican uh, right now. Lofgren, of course, was right. Republicans did lose congressional seats in the 98 elections after impeaching Bill Clinton. We won't know, of course, until this coming November. Jake, if history will repeat itself there, too. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much, Dana Bash. Appreciate it. We're just a few hours away from the debate in the House Judiciary Committee over the two articles of impeachment against President Trump. We're going to talk to a member of that committee next. Stay with us. Are you hearing a lot from your constituents back home? People Constantly. Are, the yeah. phones are ringing off the hook. Um, we literally can't pick up the phone fast enough, and it's people on both sides of it. If you thought impeachment was not at the top of the minds of many voters, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin of uh, Michigan would beg to differ. She's one of dozens of Democrats up for re-election next year in districts that President Trump won in 2016. And she's one of multiple Democrats telling CNN Today that she has not yet committed to voting for or against impeachment. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell of California. He's on both the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. Um, Congressman, I want to get back to those voters' concerns in a minute, but I, I do want to ask you, looking ahead in just a few hours, just over two hours, you'll be in the first House Judiciary Committee debate over the articles of impeachment. What are you expecting? You think it's going to be contentious, I assume? Well, Jake, uh, we're going to lay out that this president abused his office, asked a foreign government to help him cheat an election, and doing that jeopardized national security and the integrity of our elections. And he, like anyone who would do something like that, should be held accountable. Now, yes, that may come with uh, you know, some heated moments, uh, but I think you'll see passion and conviction on our side to hold him to account. You heard Congresswoman Slotkin there talking about the flood of calls she's getting about impeachment from both sides of the issue. Your California colleague, Congressman Gil Cisneros, told CNN Today that there might be a lot of blowback in his district for supporting impeachment. Do you worry about how impeachment will affect these vulnerable Democrats, these colleagues of yours, next November? Well, it's many of these vulnerable Democrats, uh, like Mr. Cisneros and Ms. Slotkin, who served in the military and the intelligence community, who came forward saying this warranted an inquiry that put us in this position. They didn't have to do that, but they thought what the president had done uh, justified uh, doing that. But these colleagues of mine and myself will be able to go back to our districts uh, hopefully before Christmas, and show that we just passed this week a farm workers' uh, bill of rights, essentially, that hopefully there's going to be a, a bill and a passage on a U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, trade deal, as well as reforming prescription drug prices. So it will not only be impeachment, but we also have 275-plus bills 
that are bipartisan that have been sent to the Senate that Mitch McConnell has not taken action on. If Democrats lose the House majority in 2020, will you regret backing impeachment? No. Your chairman on the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, defended the decision today to not include obstruction of justice in the articles of impeachment. There is obstruction of Congress, not obstruction of justice, which would have been from the Mueller investigation. Uh, you believe President Trump obstructed justice, I assume. Uh, I, I'm with Chairman Schiff, and I believe that the pattern of conduct of asking the Russians in the past to help him cheat and seeking to obstruct that investigation will be shown uh, in our uh, articles of impeachment and what we send to the Senate. But also, if there is a Senate trial uh, and successful court rulings come out our way as it related to obstruction of justice in the Mueller report, uh, we hope that that would be used as pattern evidence in the Senate. Did Democratic leaders make a mistake by not including obstruction of justice? No, I don't believe so. Does it concern you that no House Republicans have indicated they're considering voting for impeachment? None. Well, we have a former House Republican in Justin Amash, you know, who has supported us and had to leave the party. Uh, but uh, I'm not giving up on them, Jake. And, and what I'm going to do tonight, and I think a lot of my colleagues will do the same, is appeal to the constituents of my Republican colleagues uh, and basically make the case that no one else in their life, in any power dynamic that exists, boss, worker, teacher, student, producer, actress, any power dynamic that exists would get away with leveraging their power over somebody for a purely personal benefit, and the President of the United States certainly should not either. Have you heard from any House Republicans considering voting for impeachment? I've heard Republicans uh, tell me uh, they don't want to see this process rush. They want to see us proceed uh, carefully uh, and that they are still open-minded. But I, I'm not going to write them off, Jake. I, I think that'd be a mistake. Take a listen to President Trump talking about impeachment during a campaign rally in Pennsylvania. Here are the facts on Shifty Shift. This honest guy makes up my statements. He said the president of Ukraine repeatedly declared that there was no pressure, but he didn't want to say that. We said, say it. Say it, you crooked bastard. Say it. Well, that's, that's the competing message. How, how do you respond? Yeah. It's time to get serious. Uh, th this is only the fourth time in the Judiciary Committee's history that a president has undergone you know, an inquiry like this. And the president, by not participating, by acting the way that he did yesterday, and by not turning over documents or allowing witnesses, I think shows a powerful consciousness of guilt. We know what he did. It's really a matter of what do we do now in Congress to hold him accountable. Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell of California, thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Jay. New video of the shooters entering that kosher grocery in the deadly Jersey City rampage. This as we learn new information about a pipe bomb and anti-Semitic notes that the killers had. That's next. In our national lead, new shocking surveillance video showing the moment that two shooters opened fire into a Jewish deli in Jersey City. You can see them Getting out of the U-Haul with guns and pedestrians start running away. A source telling CNN those sh shooters wrote an anti-Semitic screed and anti-police messages online and in that U-Haul. But as CNN's Miguel Marquez reports, officials say they're still looking for a definitive motive in this deadly attack. A raging gun battle in Jersey City. Just across the Hudson River from New York. It was a war zone. It was gunpowder. And I have never experienced nothing like that in my life. This witness, along with many others, seen running hands in the air to safety. Authorities now say the target, 
a Jewish market. It began with an attack on the civilians in the store. And then our officers who were posted a block away immediately responded to the sound of the gunfire heroically, placed themselves in the line of fire. The two shooters, David Anderson and Francine Graham, in their stolen U-Haul, a pipe bomb, a note found with writing both anti-police and anti-Semitic, similar messages found in online posts by the pair. Pacific motive, still a mystery. One thing must be made perfectly clear. An attack on our Jewish community, or for that matter, on any community, that attack is an, is an attack against all nine million of us who are proud to call ourselves New Jerseyans. Authorities from New Jersey and New York now raising security at synagogues and other Jewish businesses and organizations. New York City ordering hundreds of extra police officers to patrol Jewish neighborhoods. It was an act of terror because it was premeditated, because it was violent, because it was directed at the Jewish community. Now, a 15-year veteran of the Jersey City Police Department, Detective Joseph Seals, he was killed at a different location, a cemetery nearby. And then here at the store, 24-year-old Moisha Deutsch was killed. We believe he was shopping. One of the co-owners, Mindel Ferenc, she's 33 years old. She was killed here at the store. And 49-year-old Miguel Douglas, we believe he worked at the store. Interestingly, the two shooters in this, police say, are also suspects in an earlier murder of an Uber driver. A lot for authorities to sort out. Jake. Miguel Marcus, thank you. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.